You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hey, friends. Welcome back. This is the Well-Fed Women podcast. And this is episode number 363. I am your host, Noelle Tarr. I'm so happy that you are here because I'm really excited about today's episode. I have Megan Garcia joining me for a second time. We've actually been trying to do another episode together for about a year. And finally, our schedules have synced up and we are doing this. If you have been in the holistic parenting space for any sort of time. You've likely heard Megan Garcia's name mentioned as a resource and authority when it comes to baby and toddler gut and immune development. Megan was actually a guest on this podcast all the way back on episode number 172. I will link to that in the show notes. We chatted all about pregnancy and baby nutrition. We talked about what to eat during pregnancy, first foods for babies, common nutrient deficiencies, how to make sure your baby's getting good iron. I think we talked about that. And how to support proper gut health in those first few years. Today's discussion is going to be like a 2.0, a little higher level. So if you're interested in the general prenatal and baby nutrition and gut health information, listen to that episode first and then come back here. What I'm really excited to talk about today is what every parent should know about traditional Chinese medicine for children. We're going to talk about Chinese herbs, what they are, and how to use them gently in different situations when your kid is sick or struggling. We're also going to be talking about which I've, I've been doing some reading on this, and this is really interesting, just the Chinese medicine ideas around digestion and gut health, specifically for kids, and how impaired gut function can be connected to many different things. Now, obviously, we talk that about that a lot here, but I really find a lot of it interesting, especially when we're talking about things like ear infections and sleep issues and even eczema. Megan's knowledge when it comes to supporting your child's gut and immune function can quite literally change the course of your child's life. So I'm really excited to get to all of your questions, specifically about baby and toddler digestion and what happens if we use antibiotics and all those things. We're going to get there, I promise. Before we dive in, as of yesterday, every light in all of our bedrooms in our home are either Blue Blocks red bulbs or Blue Blocks summer glow yellow bulbs. We just ordered more red and summer glow bulbs for our kids' rooms. And I have to say, if you have toddlers or high-energy children and you are not using summer glow bulbs yet, it just might change your life and your sleep. Not only is it not harsh blue light, so like we think of blue light sometimes as coming from our computers. Like we can kind of see that. Okay, that's that's blue light. The light that comes from our TVs and our computers, that's blue light. But it also comes from your overhead lights and even the light bulbs that are in your night on your nightstands and in your kids' rooms. And that can be really stimulating and keep kids spun up and awake. It's also really great. I find the summer glow bulbs to be like if you use them throughout the winter because it's like a ha- like a happy light. It's just a nice, warm, chill glow, and it makes you feel like you're sitting in the warm sun. You cannot enter- underestimate the impacts of light, including this LED light, overhead light, 
in blue light emitted from all the screens that we're looking at after sunset when it comes to your circadian rhythms and your sleep quality for both you and the rest of your family. Blue light completely offsets and suppresses melatonin production, which you need to fall asleep and for sleep quality. Kids are very sensitive to light. And of course, as adults, we are especially sensitive during the winter months too. Light is a stressor and it can change your physiology and how your body is able to fall asleep and the quality of your sleep. The best way to manage blue light consumption is with blue blocks computer glasses, which block out all the harsh light emitted from screens, and then their sleep plus glasses, which block out all the wavelengths that have been shown in studies to, to disrupt your circadian rhythms. So the sleep ones have a orange tint. I wear them at night. The computer glasses are clear. I wear them during the day when I'm looking at screens like right now. And they also have kids' glasses. Get a pair of these evidence-based glasses and get some summer glow and red light bulbs for your bedrooms. They even have red, like this little red light reading clip that is bright enough to read a book but isn't stimulating. Our link is blueblocks, so that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com forward slash wellfed. Our code is wellfed for 15% off and you'll get free shipping. Again, that's blueblocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com forward slash well-fed. Our code is well-fed for 15% off. Now let's bring on Megan. Megan Garcia is a pediatric acupuncturist who works specifically during a baby's first 1,000 days, roughly nine months of pregnancy and the first two years of baby's life. Her work focuses on baby nutrition, immune development, and the baby microbiome. Welcome, Megan. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah. So, yeah. I know. I would... Like you're saying, we could probably talk for hours because there's there's a lot to cover and a lot going on. And but since our last episode, I I've, was thinking about what we covered last time and and our time mm -hmm. together. You you have changed a lot. You've become a pediatric acupuncturist, which is a massive massive accomplishment, especially just as a mom with littles. And why did you want to go to school to become an acupuncturist and learn more about Chinese medicine? Like, what was driving you for that? Yeah, so actually, I had my degree, I completed school and I got my degree in Chinese medicine right when I had my first baby. So it's been years now. Mm -hmm. um, and I got my license recently, like since our last interview or mm -hmm. call together. And so I think like, the reason why I decided to, t first of all, I didn't, I kind of felt like, you know, I had my first baby and I just focused on my baby and I was working, I was writing for the body ecology diet and I was just kind of focused on that. And I didn't take my licensing exam. And I always kind of felt a little like, um, like I let that slip by and, yeah. And I knew I wanted to go back to it and to become a licensed acupuncturist because I can't practice acupuncture unless I have my license. And acupuncture is just a super cool medicine, um, just as like a little like to show you how interesting it is. For example, the other day I was having shoulder pain, like kind of pinched shoulder weird issues. And there's this point on the leg, it's stomach 38 and clinically it's known to like you needle it and you can move your shoulder and it's known on the opposite side. It's known to like help with shoulder pain. And it's the weirdest thing because it's under the knee. It's on the leg. It's on the opposite side. How the heck does it help with shoulder pain? I needled it and it was better. And I was like talking wow. to my husband as I was doing it. And still it trips me out. It's amazing. How does this work? I, I can't explain it. And I'm just like, I'm such a newbie, um, in, in a lot of ways. And I feel like 
the medicine is so just like rich and deep and interesting and there's so much to learn. And yet there's so much that I think really cannot be explained except in the poetic language of Chinese medicine, which talks about like, you know, the elements and, um, there's just, and qi, which is, is like energy, yin and yang. I mean, there's these forces that are very abstract and poetic, and that's how we describe the body. And there's something there because it works. And, you know, so, so, um, so I had my education and I knew I wanted to go back and get my license and practice acupuncture because it's so special. And then I taught a class on Chinese herbs for babies. And specifically, I focused on the immune system and like when babies get sick because I use herbs all the time. And I know from my own family, they help a lot. And I just felt like it would help a lot of parents. And the response was really strong. And I think like parents really need or there is this gap, there is this space for more support that is not, you know, over-the-counter medication. Like, for example, Tylenol or ibuprofen. Um, I had this parent do this really cool thing where she tracked the effects of ibuprofen versus a formula that I sometimes recommend when there's a fever. It's called Windbreaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she started off with ibuprofen and then the fever would dip and then come back and dip and come back. And when she tried the herbs, the fever dropped significantly and it didn't come back. And, um, and so, you know, how I can see that is a lot of the herbs in the formula are, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but they're described as cold. So they're cold herbs. So they're going to counter, right. The hot fever. Um, and these cold herbs are often like really antibacterial and antiviral. Um, and so, um, they're also fighting the infection, whereas Tylenol or, or like um, a medication that helps to control fever and pain, it's not necessarily going to help fight the infection. And so not only was it cooling down the body, but it was also helping to fight whatever infection was happening. And so that's why it was so effective. Um, and it makes total sense. And that's kind of like the missing piece. And for example, like if there's cough, like I've been to Whole Foods or Sprouts or whatever is local to my area. And there's just nothing in stores that really addresses cough the way that I know that Chinese herbs can. Um, and so Mm -hmm. I wanted to really give that to parents and the response was really great. And I was just like, I have to like, I have to finish this. I have to keep going. So that's why I got my license. That is awesome. And hearing you talk about it, I mean, it to- it is a different language. You know, traditional Chinese it is, is, yeah. is, it's, you know, because I've been to acupuncture and um, I, 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 I was the like, why are you saying, what? I, I asked, you know, a million <laughs> questions because it was, it was, it was like speaking an entirely different language. And I think that if, I think we know, especially one of the things even in Western medicine that we understand is the body is energy. Like we are constantly producing energy. Our nervous system is like act. And it's just still, like you said, so fascinating to think about our nervous system and that we have this automatic thing that happens that we don't necessarily have to think about. I mean, our brain Mm -hmm. is thinking about it sort of on autopilot. You know, we kind of pull our hair off our shoulders or get it out of our face. But like that was a huge reaction from our brain to our hand, you know, Mm -hmm. and our nervous system being stimulated and and doing something. Um, And I do love the way that Chinese medicine, like you said, is like kind of bringing balance back to the body yeah. and and seeing heat and bringing in okay here are some cold herbs which i 
I do want to talk about in a second. So can you like just as like a foundational level and you you touched on a little bit, um, you just did. But what's mm-hmm. the difference between like a Chinese medicine approach versus a Western medicine approach? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think what you just said right now was really great. And um, in regards to balance, um, that is a big factor. Um, So when we're using herbs or when we're working with the body in any capacity, it's always about kind of restoring harmony. And, you know, the only constant is change, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. things are always moving. Things are always like on this tipping point. Um, And our job, I think, all of, for all of us is to just kind of maintain a state of balance as much as possible, you know, whether that's emotional balance, physical balance. Um, you know, if you're, if you're holding your body or attention in your body in a certain way, not only are you going to be physically, you're going to physically demonstrate imbalance, but also like from a Chinese medicine perspective, you're con- there's congestion in maybe the, the acupuncture meridians, which can then translate into a physical disharmony, like deeper in the body Um, that can translate into the emotions too, like anger. If you have like if tight shoulders and you're, you know, there's a lot of tension, there's a channel that hits right up at the top of the shoulders um, that can sometimes be related to or correlated to anger and frustration. Um, And that makes sense, right? Like we, like if we get tense, we're like pulling up our shoulders. Mm. So all of this is it makes so much sense. It's so practical in a way. Um, but then there's this really like deep, rich recorded legacy that breaks it all down. And I think that is something that the roots of Chinese medicine are definitely like shamanistic and, um, there's Taoism, there is that kind of like magical element and you can find that in all over the world, right? There's cultures all over the world that have a very like folk shamanistic like heritage. What makes Chinese medicine different and I guess covered by insurance (laughs) is a, is the fact that like it has been standardized. Um, It was kind of that process started in like the 1950s um, and so because it was standardized and because it has this like rich recorded history where we have like books from like, you know, 1800 years ago, right? Like we have an understanding of herbs that I think every herb can be described in the framework of Chinese medicine all over the world. But we only know Chinese herbs the way we know Chinese herbs because they've been studied for so long mm-hmm. in that capacity. Um, and so... um yeah, so I, I think like that kind of legacy, that history is really what makes it different. It's kind of like um, taking taking that folk medicine, those folk medicine traditions, that energy, dynamic, shamanism, all that stuff, and you're moving it into the future and kind of um, making it more acceptable, I guess, to like the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um and there's something about that. Like, there's something there, obviously. Um, but acupuncture has been studied quite a bit in the literature, correct? I mean, it it, been, yeah. yeah. And but like, how do you define chi? You know, yeah. like it's just, <laughs> it's just really it's or yin and yang. It's like it's so it's so abstract and so poetic. And so a lot of people think it's like, you know, not a real medicine. Um 
but the reality is, is that it, it works, it works so well. Um, and so, you know, and, and also in very hard cases that where, you know, with patients that might have not gotten success under the conventional medical model, you know, um, with drugs and et cetera, um, you know, they come get acupuncture or herbs and it works. So there's something there. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that is really interesting for me and when it kind of clicked and when I was I was like, what? What is Ch- what are Chinese herbs like? That's weird, right? It's that's woo woo. We have we have herbs that we use in Western medicine all the time. Right. I think everybody mm-hmm. here knows about echinacea. Right? It's yeah. used a lot. Right. Um, yeah. I think marshmallow root, too, is is a Western herb. So is there like a is there overlap between Western and Chinese herbs? Are they in the, are they like used in the same formulas and teas, or is it something that you see like Chinese herbs are used exclusively and Western herbs are used exclu- used exclusively? Yeah, I think you could use Western herbs or any herb from anywhere on the planet in the same way that you use Chinese herbs. But like, okay, so for example, um, there's this website. It's called I think it's called like White Rabbit. Institute. Um, and she basically, the, the person who runs that website, she takes Western and Eastern herbs and she'll kind of like break it down. She used to do this. I don't know if she still does this, but in like a TCM framework. So a TCM framework is, for example, it's describing the taste of the herb. For example, is it bland? Is it sweet? Um, is it bitter? Is it acrid? It's describing the temperatures, hot, cold, warm. Um, it's describing what channel it enters. Like, that's what I mean when I say we have like this framework and this understanding of each herb personality. And so, you know, actually echinacea is an herb I talk about in my class and, um, it's not, I don't have a deep understanding of Western herbs in the same way that I understand Chinese herbs because I don't have this like profile and framework. But from my understanding, echinacea is a pretty cold herb and it clears heat from the lungs and the stomach. And so what that means is that you would want to use echinacea if there are signs of heat in the lung or stomach or maybe like blood heat. And so that might show up as like um, a cough and thirst or like sticky yellow phlegm. Um, you might have congestion in the nose and, um, and so if you have, if you don't have those signs and you use echinacea, then you might throw things out of balance from a TCM perspective, right? Cause we're always mm-hmm. coming back to balance. And so you want to make sure not only to use the appropriate herb that matches what's happening in the body, but also you would probably use echinacea if you were to use it with other herbs to help balance out that herb because also in Chinese medicine, it's not, we typically don't use one single herb. We'll use an herb that has like an assistant herb, like a helper. There's an herb to kind of like check the power of the king herb. There's this whole dynamic happening in a formula and that creates balance in and of itself. And so there's the function of the formula, but within the formula itself, we have herbs to create balance. Mm. Uh, So it's very complex and it's really like, there's this like really rich understanding. And when it comes to Western herbs, I don't have that framework and I don't have that understanding. You know, like um, a Western herb could be antibacterial and it clears the sinuses and it helps with 
you know, X, Y, and Z, but I'm like, what does it taste like? What's its temperature? Like, what's it going to do in the body? Because that's how I think about the body. I think about like excess or deficiency, heat, cold, all of those things. And so if you don't have that whole map, it's really hard to kind of like plug the pieces in. Um, for me personally, and there's other people that I know, like I have this friend, um, she works with herbs in a really intuitive way. She'll, and they're all like Western local herbs. And so she's very much into local herbalism, which makes 100%. It makes sense. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just not how mm -hmm. I work because I work from more of a Chinese medicine perspective, but she'll like taste the herbs. She'll spend time with the trees and the plants. And it's all very like, you know, she really feels the medicine and she's in it and it's all local. Um, and for me, I guess it's more like of a intellectual thing where I'm not, I, I, I sp I've spent time with Chinese herbal medicines like we have a garden in los angeles um but it's not at all like that like i'm not out there chewing on herbs and, you know, <laughs> meditating with them necessarily i'm more like reading about them so right. it's just different it's a different approach yeah both work and both are great but um yeah that's yeah. that's kind of the difference there so you're talking about chewing and tasting herbs. How do you actually <laughs> administer Chinese herbs, especially when it comes to babies and kids? And I do want to make the aside that yeah. we're not, we don't want to give medical information, especially when it comes to babies and kids. This is just for general information only. If you are thinking about giving your child anything, make sure you talk with your doctor before you do that. Um, but yeah, so specifically when it comes to like kids, how are we administering herbs? Yeah. Um, it's just the same way as an adult. Um, you would just do a smaller dose. Um, and, um, you know, I, there's an idea that you can give the herbs to the mom and it will benefit the baby. Um, but I generally like to just work with the babies directly. Um, and so, um, typically herbs come in, um, a tincture or, um, a powder form. Traditionally it was made as a tea. Um, I remember one of my herb teachers, he was, he was telling me, he's like, just, he always makes his herbs from a tea. So, um, a Chinese like decoction pot, it has like these, like two, it has a handle and a spout. It's super cool looking. He actually gave me one of his teapots, um, and I remember him telling me this story about how his daughter was sick and he just gave her little spoonfuls of the tea and she'd spit it out. <laughs> but like, he's like, even that little bit was good. Um, and you know, he, 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 I learned so much from this teacher and, um, yeah, uh, there's just so much to learn. So in general, to answer your question, you would want to give the herbs however you would take them, but just in a smaller dose. So how do you take them and what, like when you're taking them and when you're giving to the, them to your kids, do you prefer like tinctures just because they're easier? They're not, the kids are actually going to take it and not spit it yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, if you start young, really, like uh, if you start young with babies, then they won't be a problem in the, in the future. And so that's mm -hmm. ideal. Um, so I have used powders with my kids as babies. Um, and I'll just mix it with water. Um, I have used tinctures too. They're, they're very sweet. Um, some of them can be pretty sweet and so they're very acceptable. So if you have a toddler or an older child, that might be the way to go. Um, but otherwise I prefer opening capsules and mixing them with water. Um, there's a, a Chinese herbal brand that I really love is called classical pearls. 
Mm-hmm. I probably use them the most um, and I'll just open up their capsules and mix it with water. And, um, and then like you could use a dropper and just like put it on the side um, of the cheek and just kind of squirt it in. Um, and it tastes really bitter. Um, but now my kids, they don't mind that bitter taste and they, they take it really easily. So start young. <laughs> Like yeah. with all food, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, isn't that the truth? Even with like food too? I mean, that's why, man, you learn, you learn the second time around that if you <laughs> delay, delay, delay your kid, when you try, when she, you know, he or she tries it at four, you're, it's, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. But if you're giving it at one and at even at two, you know, your kid is just like, sure, give it to me. And they really have a, a much more diverse palate. I've, right. I ha- I have been experimenting with tinctures. And you mentioned Windbreaker. I just used that mm-hmm. two nights ago when my daughter had a fever. And it... it <laughs> I I was like, how do I do this? And so I talked to a couple, you know, friends who are who are knowledgeable. And I was like, are, are you sure? Like, I should just put it like right in her mouth. Like, this just seems weird. And sure enough, like the first few times it was like, oh, mom. But now it's just like, whatever. You know, like they get even now she's gotten very used to it. And my son doesn't even think twice about it. He's like, mm, that's not good. And I'm like, OK. <laughs> Yeah. Fine. Just drink a little water after it. Like he doesn't, you know, he'll just make a comment, but he still takes it, which is you right. know, the point. Um, yeah. So let's talk about babies and toddlers getting sick. So uh-huh. you've mentioned about you've mentioned heat and mm-hmm. how, you know, when mm-hmm. our when our children catch viruses or whatever and they, they're coming down with a sickness, their immune system is, you know, trying to attack that and get it out of the body. Right. And mm-hmm. so. Often our kids will get fevers. Often they will get cough and phlegm. And I know kids are really prone to just cough, like the coughing, man. I I didn't realize it until I really, you know, my kid was in preschool. We really struggle with cough and phlegm. So talk to me about what kind of herbs we can use when our kids are getting sick and and how do those herbs support our child's body as they are sick? Yeah, so um, I guess it gets important to understand that from a Chinese medicine perspective, um, what we see in children, and this could be translated to into just in general, like babies have digestive weakness, right? Um, and in Chinese medicine, that's called spleen qi deficiency. But we all know, like, from colic to reflux to, you know, spitting up, um, it's obvious, right? There's a um, immaturity there in the gut. Um, And so um, also what we see in Chinese medicine is there is dampness. Um, And so I think, um, you know, like like cough would be um, an accumulation of phlegm. Um, with ear infection, that is often connected to spleen chi deficiency or a digestive weakness um, and dampness. Um, and so what you would want to do is, I think, first and foremost, think about that. Um, my cat's right here. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, cute. Yeah, she's she's really, uh, she wants something from me. I she's like looking at me in this weird way. She's a little like of a high need special cat. She's biting me right now. Um, she had this thing called megasophagus when I first got her. Oh, and so, of course, I looked into it from a Chinese medicine perspective. And it's basically like lack of muscle tone in the esophagus. And so she would like throw up her food. And so I gave her herbs to tonify her spleen chi because, or her digestive energy 
because that is related to muscle tone. Um, and it totally helped, but wow. she's still, I think she had like a lot of interventions when she was a kitten. So she's wow. a little sensitive, but that kind of relates to, you know, like our discussion that we're just having, which is, um, just thinking about, you know, that digestive insufficiency. And so for example, antibiotics, they're very cold. Um, you would want to like avoid any, and that's a major intervention, but when, when caring for children, you know, when they're sick, especially you'd want to avoid cold foods, sweet foods, dairy, that kind of thing, because that's going to actually really weigh down the digestive chi or energy. Hmm. Um, and this is why something like chicken soup with ginger is really therapeutic. It's warming and not just from like, it's a hot soup, but it's also has ginger in it. Um, if there's cough, you could add some spring onion. Like there's different, um, foods that actually have a lot of therapeutic value or spices that are in your kitchen right now that you can use to kind of like balance out what's happening in the body. And I have a blog post on spices. Um, and that's really useful because most of us have like, you know, onion, ginger, turmeric, clove, coriander, right? Cumin. Mm -hmm. Those are pretty common cooking spices. Um, so, um, but yeah, like, so when a baby gets sick, I think the first step is just understanding that they have this tendency towards dampness, towards spleen sheet deficiency or digestive deficiency, and that they're going to build up phlegm really easily. And so, um, you would want to avoid phlegm causing foods and you would want to warm up their overall bodies, um, with warming foods. You know, there's this idea that when your baby is sick, you want to like do a tepid bath or use a cold washcloth on the head to bring down the fever. But from a Chinese medicine perspective, that's actually kind of like causing constriction and what's called the Wei Qi layer. And it's trapping the pathogen in the body. Um, and <laughs> does that make sense? To actually, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because it's kind of like uh, the TCM way of explaining it. But so it so it's causing constriction and it's trapping like the infection in the body. And so from a TCM perspective, you want to vent the infection because typically an infection starts on, you know, the Wei Qi is called the Wei Qi or the exterior level. And then it goes deeper into the body. And so when it, you're first sick, you want to take herbs that um, work on that external level. And you also want to not do, you know, a tepid bath or a cold washcloth or popsicles or anything like that, because that's actually going to make things worse from a Chinese medicine perspective. Here's a fun fact. Over 75% of women are deficient in magnesium. And if you are deficient, it can cascade into other problems. In fact, women may actually deal with more health issues than men from not getting enough magnesium. This is because magnesium, of course, supports sleep, it helps to manage blood sugar and insulin, and is anti-inflammatory, but it actually fuels healthy mitochondria, which is important for hormone health for women because steroid hormones are made in mitochondria. So it serves an important role in helping to balance hormones and moderate your monthly cycle. The truth is, 
Most magnesium supplements you'll find in health stores or online or on Amazon use only the cheapest synthetic forms of magnesium. And since they're not full spectrum, they don't have bioavailable forms, they may not actually raise your magnesium levels and you may not see improvements. There are actually seven unique forms of magnesium and it's important to take a compound supplement with multiple forms to experience the calming, health-enhancing effects. This is why I love Magnesium Breakthrough. I've been taking it for years. It is a compound supplement with seven unique forms. I have been taking two every night before bed, and it's one of the only nutrients that is an absolute must for me daily. It's made such a difference in my sleep and anxiety at night. For our exclusive offer, go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash wellfed. Our code is wellfed10 to save 10% off. Again, it's magbreakthrough, so M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com forward slash wellfed. I purchased my magnesium breakthrough with that link. I buy the bulk option so that each uh, bottle is just under $30. If for any reason you don't love it, you can get a full refund up to one year after you purchase, which is one of the things I love about Bioptimizers. Again, that's magbreakthrough.com forward slash wellfed. Our code to get 10% off is wellfed10. Hmm. Yeah. I, I actually really... I mean, intuitively, like I can see what you're saying. There's so much overlap because when we're talking about like, I think this is a practice that I just do as a mom because I I think I understand nutrition and what you said, phlegm causing foods. So like we avoid dairy, right? We avoid um, sugar when our kids are sick because dairy Mm. can just cause a lot of phlegm. And it's interesting that from a Chinese medicine perspective, like those are foods also that Chinese medicine is saying like these there's actual reasons to avoid these. We don't we we don't want foods that are going to constrict the body or do things that are going to constrict the body we want to actually kind of release let the body do what it needs to do and and provide warming foods and kind of release um the virus like i i actually i I think that makes a lot of sense um uh, katie has a, a great question for us she said do you have a good immune protocol when they pick up a cold in terms of Chinese medicine? So what herbs do you use? She says, yeah. I'm talking about the mild variety when pediatricians say there's not much you can do except keep them hydrated and give them ty- Tylenol. Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, there's windbreaker. Um, there's different formulas um, that I would probably turn to, um, but it really depends on how it's presenting. And that goes back to that understanding of, you know, is there a lot of heat? Is there a lot of excess? Is there more deficiency? Is there more cold signs? Um, and so you really want to, going back to echinacea, for example, like we wouldn't want to give echinacea if there's a lot of deficiency and already cold in the body because it's a very cold herb. Um, and so you really want to kind of meet the body where it's at. And so it really depends on how the infection is presenting because there might be fever, there might be no fever and a runny nose, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And it could be a viral infection in each case. um, And so there's nothing a doctor can do. Um, And, you know, and even with like ear infections too, often like um, antibiotics are not very effective. um, And there's, I don't know that there's a lot that, that, that can be done when it comes to ear infection beyond tubes, um, especially if it's 
reoccurring ear infection. Um, And so from a Chinese medicine perspective, there are specific herbs that more work with like the liver chi or energy um, and like the spleen chi to kind of like address that. And so it's it's pretty complex. Um, And so I would probably recommend that parents, you know, like find a local acupuncturist and just have them, just my cat again, and just have them like on call or build that relationship because especially, you know, um, the, the baby gut is, is a very important thing to care for that like first, especially that first year. And so if antibiotics do come into the picture, you're probably wiping out a lot of microbes that Mm -hmm. um, are important for immune development. And so that's something to think about. And so the the benefit of using Chinese herbs and building a relationship with an acupuncturist, I also have a class that's really, you know, if you can't afford an acupuncturist or it's not accessible, um, you know, my class like gives a ton of information and I try to be as accessible as possible. Um, And it's all information for educational purposes. (laughs) Like you're not my patient. when you take the class, but, um, but it does provide kind of like a resource and, and a lot of these herbs can be found online and the company that makes, for example, blue poppy, um, they, they used to be exclusively only available to acupuncturists, but I think they, they just opened up like a sister company, um, where like, it's literally blue poppy under a different label. And they're just putting out the herbs for like the public. And so um, having that kind of understanding of what the herbs do and how they function in the body and going to a reputable source for those herbs or building, if you can, ideally you're working with an acupuncturist, that's going to be probably the best um, direction to go. And you mentioned windbreaker. Um, so like when kids have a fever, you're going to give more cooling herbs, something like a windbreaker. Does Is a windbreaker a cooling blend? Is that why you're, you said with, you give that in, with a fever? Right. So um, it can be great if there's, you know, a fever, um, you know, and the skin is hot to touch um, because, right, it has a lot of cooling herbs. It also has herbs for kind of like phlegm in the muscle layer. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's kind of like a really great go-to. Um, but I would say that it's not always what I would use Hmm. and I, yeah, I don't use it a hundred percent of the time. Um, because some, because remember a lot of babies have like what's called spleen sheet deficiency or digestive weakness. And so, um, I would probably also want to support that so that they have the energy to kind of like move the infection out of the body. If you're just kind of like clearing, you're doing a lot of clearing and you're not doing any supporting, that can also be kind of an issue sometimes. So just as like a personal question, um, so if a child doesn't have a like a, um, a fever, but has your common cold where there is a lot of coughing and runny nose, does, yeah. what are like warming or and is there a blend like i i do you love this is a lot of questions sorry do you like gentle warriors and is there would there be a time where you would give like a warming blend to help free up that phlegm or are we still using cooling herbs in that scenario yeah, with cough i would use herbs that specifically target cough um and kind of like lung chi and um 
And so that is, it's kind of a separate thing. Um, and so mm -hmm. for example, windbreaker doesn't have any herbs. I don't think it has any herbs for cough. I have to look, it's a pretty long list of, of herbs, but, um, I don't think it has any herbs for coughs specifically and exclusively that, you know, really address the phlegm and cough. And so, you know, for example, in Chinese medicine, there are herbs that go into the lung channel, right? Or like kind of like, so the channel is the line of energy that you would needle in acupuncture treatment, right? Like, so the acupuncture points, each acupuncture point follows um, a line of energy and that's where it moves and how it moves in the body. And so herbs will enter these specific channels, like the liver channel, the lung channel, for example. Um, and so that's kind of some context for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to get into more about you keep, you keep bringing it up, baby digestion, digestion weakness. What does all this mean? We've got a lot of questions from the community and what should we do? So this next one's from Katie too. She says, I've been told babies are born with leaky gut. Um, so to say that they can absorb, so and the reasoning is because they can uh, uh, potentially absorb more nutrients from milk. How does this inform how we should start solids? Should we do bone broth for a while to seal the gut? Or is that more of a myth? Um, so, mm -hmm. And also, do you recommend probiotics? So if babies are born, you know, you're saying there's this digestive weakness. What exactly is that weakness and why is it there? And how can we make sure that like when we're starting with solids um, and even from like just like a Chinese medicine perspective, how do we support our babies as their guts are developing? Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, um, right now, so I recently started working with this biotech startup. Um, it's called tiny health. Um, and it's really fun because, um, I work with a bunch of microbiologists wow. and yeah. And I get to like experience their, their brains. <laughs> really <laughs> smart. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's really exciting too, because it's the first microbiome test for babies specifically. Um, and this kind of came up with a parent, was it, was it, I feel like this past year has been such a, like, like the past two years, right. They've been like kind of crazy. <laughs> kind of. I think it was in 2019, like if you can believe it. So yeah, like, um, in like roughly 2019, it's a blur 2020 and 21. I don't know what even happened, but like 2019, I believe I posted an, this thing on Instagram. I think it was right when COVID like started. Um, and I had worked with a mom who had done a stool test with her baby and the stool test came up positive and high for C. diff. And, um, and so she was really concerned and the practitioner, the functional medicine practitioner that she was working with had recommended kind of like a protocol to kind of like, you know, get rid of this infection. And I had just done a class on the baby gut. I don't think it's, yeah, it's not available, available to purchase on my website. Um, because I, it was just kind of like a one-time thing, but it was a really cool class to do because it, I kind of did a deep dive into like the science and I just like read a bunch of papers and I got really acquainted with kind of what's happening in the baby gut. And, um, and it, as it turns out, like there are kind of these, um, times early on, when certain kind of quote unquote bad bacteria 
are in higher levels. And that's actually a good thing as long as it's not harming the health and it's not excessively high. But these higher levels, um, they're actually helping to tone the immune system. They're working with the development of the baby's immune system. Um, and so essentially what's happening in the baby's gut is radically different than what happens and is happening in the adult gut. And that's so important to understand. And so specifically, like in one of the papers that I read, it was talking about how these higher levels of C. diff aren't actually a problem. Um, and there's like, it starts off high and then it goes down. And I think in older age, it gets high again, possibly because of a weakened immune system. But in the very beginning of life, this is actually not seen as a pathology, right? Um, and so I told the parent this, I'm like, there's no reason to like, you know, cleanse your kid or detox or do any kind mm. of like radical measures with, I think the practitioner wanted to use either something like walnut or clove or garlic, I don't know, some kind of like, you know, extract of an herb, right? Um, and from a Chinese medicine perspective, I'm like, no, that's not what you want to do with a baby. And, and it's like oversimplifying. And then from like the gut perspective, I'm like, this is normal. This is fine. This is no big deal. And so I broke it all down for the parent and I sent them like, you know, these references and I explained it all. And then I did a uh, Instagram post on it. Cause I was like, this is a really important information. And so that's actually how the founder of this startup, Tiny Health, that's how, I don't know if that's how she found me, but that's what kind of like got her to reach out to me. And to help like develop a lot of the content because basically I'm working with a bunch of scientists and they talk in science speak. And so like my job <laughs> is to kind of like simplify it. So, you know, everyday people can just like who speak like me can understand what's being said. Um, and so, um, yeah, so when it comes to the baby gut, you really want to think about it in its own terms and um, not apply adult gut standards onto it. And, um, and so I, I guess the point of that story was like, you know, we're, we're finally coming up with, and, and not just our company, I think there, I've heard of other companies that, you know, um, are doing something similar, um, but it's an, it's an exciting field and it's, it's developing and there's a lot of science on it. Um, but the main gist is that what's happening in babies is very different than what's happening in adults. It's this very special window. And there's a lot of, of development taking place. And what is really important to understand is the development that takes place during this time period. You know, it's said the first 1,000 days, um, you know, uh, that's understood as like pregnancy and then the first two years. Mm -hmm. um, but in working with the with scientists that I work with, um, it's really like that first year that is pretty critical. Um, and of course, during pregnancy too is also very important. But when we're talking about like microbiome development and maturation and all that, it's that first year that really makes an impact. And when I've worked with babies specifically, like with allergies and eczema and things like that, um, I like to work with them, the younger, the better. Um, once we get past like into toddlerhood, you can still make changes. I have personally found, but um, it's just it's a lot easier to start when they're younger. So I don't know if it's a myth, like that idea of like the leaky gut, the virgin gut. To me, I always think of like leaking gut as like an inflamed gut. It's really not about that. I feel like that's kind of like language that oversimplifies. Um, I think it's just what's happening with babies is 
there is exposure to microbes. There was a 2014 paper, and I remember reading this like back when I first started blogging, and it was how in the placenta, and I actually wrote an article on this for Body Ecology back when I used to write for them. Um, there were microbes found in the placenta that were in the mouth. Um, and so this was like a big deal in like 2014, 15, right? Like this, oh my God, they're like, kind of like when we found out that breast milk isn't sterile, like, you know, the, <laughs> the body isn't sterile. So babies are, are exposed to microbes. Are they living? You know, what's the impact? We don't know, but there is some level of, of exposure happening during pregnancy, but it's really when baby's born, that's when, that is when they really take on a lot of like a microbial imprint, right? And so that's why birth matters, how baby is born. That's why breastfeeding, like if you're able to do it or not, that's why that's important. Um, and so when it comes to solids, you know, if you look at like the DGA, um, the dietary guidelines for Americans, um, it just came out, right? Like 2020, 2021. Mm-hmm. I feel like it just came out like last year. And it is, it's, it's great. Like I've read through it. Um, somebody who I think, so there's this lady, her name is Catherine Dewey. And I remember I used to like fangirl over her and like <laughs> she's a professor at UC Davis and she wrote some really cool papers. And when I first started blogging, I was like, Oh, she's so like, she gets it. Like she, she understands. And so she's very much like, you know, pro meat for babies, like feed mm. babies meat. They need meat. Um, cause you see so many pediatricians like recommend like, you know, avocado or yeah, yeah. Or, or cereal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but she like broke it all down. She explains it. And so she, I believe she is helped to edit or, or advise, um, uh, the, she was on that board. I'm not sure, but for sure she did do a response and a paper that analyzed the D- the DGA. And so her response was really astute. You know, she talks about responsive feeding um, in the guidelines like that were put out. They talk about allergen exposure. They talk about meat. They talk about iron. They talk about literally like kind of like what my first foods class is. <laughs> like they really like cover a lot. And so it's, I'm like, I need to like update my first foods class to include some TCM or some like digestive support and stuff, because like, it's kind of old now, like all that information that, you know, I kind of, uh, pulled together that was inspired by Catherine Dewey and, um, all these other papers. Um, it's like really public and that actually started. So back when I first started to blog, there was this thing that I, that I had read about It's called the B. 24 project and it was birth from 24. And so around that time, they're like, there's no standards or dietary guidelines for kids under two. And I had noticed that I'm like, okay, so vitamin A, like vitamin D, it's always like, if you look it up, it was always like two and over. Right. Mm-hmm. And you'll see that on like herbs. If you buy at the store or whatever, it's always like two and up, everything's two and up. And so that's what made me kind of create that class was because there's information on the nutritional needs of babies, but it's just not like widely talked about. It's not like you can Google it and it'll come up in the nutritional guidelines of X, Y, and Z. So um, that's what started me to, to like read those papers and kind of deep dive into that. Um, but now all that information is out there. It's all out there and it's all legit. And it's not like some like boring, superficial. So, so we see functional medicine, right? As like more nuanced 
and it gets the connections of the human body. And I think a lot of people have this distrust of CDC and mainstream like doctors and pediatricians and that kind of thing, which I totally understand because sometimes it's not fully, it's a little superficial. It doesn't like, it's too categorizing. Mm -hmm. Like you have this problem and this problem and they're separate fields and there's no overlap, whereas functional medicine tends to look at the overlap, right? And that's what makes it so great in some ways. Um, But in terms of like the dietary guidelines for Americans now, that just came out. I think it's really great. And that's a really great resource to follow. And so they recommend, and I also recommend that you start allergens um, when you start solids. And so that's around six months to answer the question. Uh, I I know you we're we're coming up on time and I have two questions that I think are really important when we're talking about um, digestion, because not everybody has a perfect scenario where they had a vaginal birth and, you know, breastfed perfectly and no (laughs) antibiotics. So if we had a lot of questions just about the, you know, when babies are exposed to things like Tylenol and things like antibiotics, what can we do? And do you recommend that uh, in our first episode, we talked about when does baby need probiotics? And you you said that it's in two scenarios when baby has um, like had C-section and when a, it's a C-section baby and or when a baby's had antibiotics. So yeah. can you maybe just review that for us? Like, how do you heal the baby's gut? How do we set our kids up for success when they have had antibiotics and or there's been over the counter medication, you know, given? What's really cool, so that 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 recommendation came from a paper that I read from 2015, um, and it's called Mom Matters. And, you know, it's like this is like a roundabout moment. So what's really cool is the startup that I'm working with, one of the authors of that paper is on the advisory board of the startup that I'm working nice. with. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> but anyways, um, and so we refer to that paper a lot. Um, but what I've learned with tiny health and with like the microbiologists that I've been working with, um, is that breastfeeding is actually can make a huge difference. For example, if you have C-section, a C-section birth, um, and you're able to breastfeed, then that can make a huge impact on the restoration of your baby's microbiome. And that's because breast milk has HMOs, right? And these HMOs or breast milk sugars help to feed the beneficial bacteria in baby's gut, the issue and probably why you would want to like use the test that I'm helping to create um, or like, you know, I'm not creating it. I'm like helping with the content, but um, the, like the reason why you'd want to test is because you don't know what your levels of microbes are that you're passing on to baby. Um, and so, because all of us have been exposed to antibiotics, right. And so we've all like, we're all coming into this picture with, our own kind of affected ecosystem, so to speak. And so, right. And so what are you passing on to your kiddo? And then, and then if you're, but if you're able to breastfeed, this helps tremendously. Um, And so that's, that's one thing that I've learned when working with them. And that was based, I think in a very recent paper that came out in like 2020. So that's kind of like new information. Um, Breastfeed if possible. If you're not able to breastfeed, um, you would want to use a formula with HMOs. Um, and I don't know that there's a lot of like great quality formulas that actually have HMOs. So I would probably add, 
add something. You could add HMOs to the formula yourself. I use uh, the probiotic immune from Seeking Health, which does not have HMOs in it, um, but it is a prebiotic. And so sometimes I use that with babies. Um, so there's like also space for products that need to be developed to continue to support babies if you're not able to breastfeed. If you're not able to breastfeed too, you could consider donor milk. Um, that's something that I think needs to be normalized and maybe like more accessible for me personally. Like I was thinking about it and I'm like, wow, like I didn't even realize this, but if I couldn't breastfeed, I don't know that I would have felt comfortable using donor milk. Like to me, it feels scary. It feels mm -hmm. weird. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know. And maybe that's weird of me to think that, but I was thinking about it. And I got really like real with myself for a minute. And I was like, I like, you know, nine years ago, like four years ago, would I have been able or would I have felt comfortable using donor milk? And I don't think I would have. And I just think it's because there's not a lot of education around it and it's not super accessible. And I've heard it's really expensive. And so, you know, more education and more accessibility when it comes to donor milk, I think would be probably a really good thing too. Um, so, and in terms of a probiotic, yes, you want to use like a bifidobacteria heavy probiotic. And that's because we want to see a lot of bifidobacteria in baby, at least within the first, you know, six months. And then when they start solids, that's when things start to like kind of change and diversify. Um, yeah. So when you're talking about HMOs, is that like beta glucan? Like, you know, that galactoimmune from yeah, Claire Labs? Uh, yeah. Um, no, it's not. So beta glucan is something I love and I use a lot. Um, and that comes from like more like oats. It's, it's, it's more of like a prebiotic. It's in yeast. It's in oat. It's in various things, fungus. Um, but uh, HMOs is also a prebiotic, but it's specifically in breast milk. So it's human milk oligosaccharides. Um, and so um, it's the it's kind of like the sugars that are found in breast milk and it feeds specifically bifidobacteria um, and other species of bacteria as well. But, but the bifidobacteria, they really thrive with HMOs. And so it's essentially selects which bacteria um, populate the baby's gut. And they're so important that when you like break down like kind of the solid components of breast milk, like you take out the water component, it makes up a third of what's in breast milk. That's how, how much HMOs babies get, but in formula, they're really only getting like a fraction of that amount. And so that's something to think about too. It's a very, very small amount. Um, if you're using formula. So I'm going to link to uh, my past episode with Megan Garcia, number 172, into the show notes. Also, Megan has two classes. If you're dying to know more information, Chinese Herbs for Babies, and that's the one that is all about just herbs in, in general and Chinese medicine for babies. And then First Foods and Beyond, which is really going to dive deep into exactly what foods need to be taken and or <laughs> taken, given to your baby um, and what's going to set your kid up for success. And then I have noticed, too, you have a shop page on your website where you do have specific um, supplements and stuff like that. And I will link to that, too, in the show notes. Megan, I need to have you on again. Would you like to yeah. do a round two? 
I would love to. I would okay, love to. good. Because um, we'll dive deep into all the stuff even more. Thank you so much for being here. I'm going to let you get to your meeting, but I so appreciate you. I appreciate your time and thank you for helping all of us. So great to catch up with you all. Yeah. All right. For more from <laughs> Megan Garcia, megangarcia.com. My website is coconutsandcutabells.com. Thanks so much for being here, guys. We will talk to you next week. <laughs> 